Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Today, uh, in fact, this morning, my, my son came in and said, Dad, what's the, uh, the title to the message? And, and I said, I don't know. I said, I, I, I'm just trying to figure out what to say. I said, I've got enough to talk for three hours, and I've got 30 minutes. And so we, we, we kind of bounced a few things around, and then the title we came up with was The Secrets to Surviving Judgment Day. Uh, after I thought about it a little bit more, I kind of I changed it, Daniel. All right. And uh, it's <laughs> The Secrets to Being Happy on Judgment Day. So... We want to start with the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. Uh, in the first four verses, the, 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 uh, the author says, here are the six fundamental, foundational things that you need to understand about Christianity. And the last two I just want to mention. One, the first of the last, is the resurrection of the dead. But then he says, and this is the second one we want to talk about today, of eternal judgment. Um, When people talk about it, they call it judgment day. And judgment day is real. Every person who's ever lived will stand before God. You will stand before God. I will stand before God. Uh, The place where it's talked about the clearest is in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. This is what it says. It says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose faith the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books, plural, were opened. Books. And another book, singular, was opened. And then it talks about that singular book which is the book of life. It goes a few verses later, and it says, and anyone not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire, which is the second, which is hell. So there's a book called the book of life or the Lamb's book of life. And anybody who's not in that book is going to be cast into the lake of fire. But notice, and books were opened, and then another book, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. So your works are written in the books. In fact, this this will not come as a great surprise. This is what theologians call these books, the books of works. Because your works are written in a book. And you will be judged on two criteria, not just one. And again, the dead were judged according to their works. So as a Christian, you are not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith. You're saved by putting your faith in what Jesus did for you in giving your heart and your life to him. That's how you're saved. 
That's what gets your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And remember, anybody whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. But on that day that you stand before God and I stand before God, you will be asked two questions. And exactly what the wording is, I don't think anybody knows, but we do know the two concepts. The first question is basically going to be this. What did you do with Jesus? Did you receive him or did you not receive him? Question number one, you receive him. Your name is written in the book of life. You're going to spend eternity in heaven. Second question. What did you do for Jesus? What did you do for Jesus? Because you're going to be judged. I'll move this way. You're going to be rewarded for what's written in the books of works. In Revelation 22, Jesus said this. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming quickly. King James, New King James says, and my reward is with me. Message Bible says it like this. And my paycheck is in my hand to give to everyone according to what he has done. See, sometimes we just have the idea that we were just saved from sin, from hell. And that is true. But you were not just saved from, you were saved to good works. So your good works won't save you. But your good works will be rewarded when you get to heaven. Now, the clearest place that it talks about this, what happens to believers is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, excuse me, 3, verses 10 through 11. And this is what it says. That when you get to heaven, God's going to have an altar and he's going to put your good works, all your works, good and bad, actually, on that altar. Some are going to be like wood, hay and stubble, and they're going to burn up. Others are going to be, God's going to compare them to gold, silver and precious stones. And your works that make it through the fire, you will receive an eternal reward. It's not heaven, but it's a reward in heaven. You know, sometimes everybody, we just think, well, heaven is like this government housing project. It's not. It's not. You will be rewarded for your works. And then this is what what really, I think, should shake us up. But if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. So this is what it says. It says there will be people whose names are written in the book of life and they will spend eternity in heaven and they will have zero rewards. Zero rewards. I've talked to people. I just want to make it by the skin of my teeth. I don't. I don't want to make it by the skin of my teeth. So the apostle Paul says this. Now, God has called him to preach. He's been told he's going to preach. So verse 16 says this. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do it willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, or if I do it with a bad attitude, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. He's saying I can do something for God 
with wrong motivation and a wrong attitude, and I will not be rewarded in heaven. God's not just concerned about what you do. He's concerned about the attitude and the motivation that you and I have when we do it. Our, is our attitude good? Is our motivation right? Is it because we love God? We love people? We love the kingdom of God? In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, if I have not love, it profits me. What? Nothing. No, now, it's going to profit the people who you gave something to feed. It's going to profit them. But it won't profit you because you won't have an eternal reward if your motivation is, look at me. Look what I'm doing. It's got to be the right motivation out of love for God and love for people. When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. See, this is the first and great commandment. The second's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying, love God and love people. Love God, love people. Unfortunately, many of us, we love things and we use people. But we're supposed to love people. All people. That's the commandment. Um, emotional feelings are not the substance of love. Because love is what we actually do for others, not how we feel. Right? Love is, first of all, a verb, which means this. Love is our willingness to extend ourselves to help and bless others. It's a verb. It's what you do. Right? Love is something you do. Right? And, and this is, I believe this, you can be a saved soul and have a lost life. You're on your way to heaven, but your life is, is absolutely depositing nothing good into the kingdom of God. It's not enough to just get to heaven. Right? We want to get to heaven having done something with our lives for the glory of God. How many want to do more than just get to heaven? We want our life to do something for the glory of God. Now, one of the things that will help us is if we think right. Most people, all they do is think about this life. But in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about Moses. I'd like you to listen to this. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God then enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to his reward. So Moses is living in this life, but what he's looking for is his reward in heaven. You know, Jesus told us to do the same thing. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. No matter what the stock market does, no matter what the economy does, what's laid up in heaven, it's untouchable. It's there. Now, in Ephesians chapter 10, excuse me, Ephesians 2 and verse 10, 
It says, for we're God's own workmanship, handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, that's born anew or born again, that we may do the good works which God predestined, planned beforehand. So you're saved that you may do the good works that God planned beforehand. God didn't want to just save you from something. He wanted to save you to something. Taking the paths he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. So God has prepared good works for every single one of us to do. He's prepared them before him. And I love this, living the good life that he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Jesus said this, he said, beware of greed or covetousness. He says, because your life does not consist in the abundance of the things you possess. Several years ago, I, I saw a bumper sticker and this is what it said. It says, he who dies with the most toys wins. No, he who dies with the most toys is dead. <laughs> he who gives his life into the kingdom of God and sows into the kingdom and does the good works that God predestined beforehand for you, they win. In fact, the Bible calls it living the good life. The good life is not the life that's all focused on you. The good life is the life where you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is the good life. So Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in this house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father who's in heaven. You know, a number of years ago, uh, a young man was attending the university, university in London, and he became very interested in the Christian faith. Upon his graduation, he had almost convinced to become a Christian. Well, he accepted employment in the East African country and spent several months there. He found he was living in the home of a Christian family. And he thought, oh, this is great. This will be my testing ground. I'm looking for evidence that this Christian faith changes a person's life. Unfortunately, as the month passed, he saw nothing to attract him. The family was apathetic towards him and their faith. They didn't reach out to him or to others and were casual about their comments in general. In fact, they complained about any sacrifice that they had to make on behalf of others. They never connected with him. Consequently, the student's interest in God, in Christianity, turned to disappointment. He left his pursuit of Christ and went in a different direction, moved back to India, and eventually led a revolution. The young man's name was Mahatma Gandhi. The family in Africa had no idea who was in their midst. Those followers of Christ missed an opportunity to influence a young man who would influence a generation. Jesus said, let your light shine in such a way that people see your good works and glorify your father who's in heaven. 
When the lawyer asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus told him, love God, love people. And Jesus said, love your neighbor. And the man's reply was, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells him this story. Jesus said, there's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he falls among thieves. They beat him up. They strip him naked and take everything that he has. After a short period of time, along comes a Levite. This would be like a Christian. And they see him and they get passed by the Jesus on the other side. They, They actually move out of their way to not help. A while later, along comes a priest. That'd be like a pastor. He sees him and he does the same thing. He moves over and passes him by, does nothing. And then Jesus said, along comes a Samaritan. Now, if you didn't know this, the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. In fact, a Jew would take an extra day or two's journey to get someplace to not have to go through a city that had Samaritans in it. And Jesus said the Samaritan saw him and had compassion. He got down, he went over, and he took oil and he rubbed it into the man's wounds. He put him on his own donkey. He took him to a hotel. He took care of him all night, got up the next morning, went to the innkeeper and put down two days wages and says, take care of him. And when I come back, He said, if you spend anything more, I'll pay you. And Jesus simply said to the the lawyer, he said, which of these was a neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? And it's very interesting. The lawyer wouldn't even say the Samaritan. He said, well, I guess the one who had compassion. there There was such hatred in this guy. And Jesus said, you go and you do likewise. Jesus' lesson is love God and love people. But the way you love God is by loving people. The way you love God is by reaching out to people. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 12 of a certain rich man. He said his fields yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? I have no room to store my crops. So he said, this is what I'll do. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater. And there I will store up my crops and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? Jesus said, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The the lesson of the story is not rich people or bad people. The lesson of the story is this. God blesses you, not just for you. God blesses you so you can be a blessing. This man, all he thought about was me, me. He didn't think about the poor, the widow, the outcast, the abandoned, the downtrodden. All he was thinking about was himself. And everything was for himself. He didn't lay up any treasures in heaven. There were no good works. In Luke, excuse me, Luke, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, it's talking about Jesus. 
And it says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That Greek word there went about doing good. It, it's, the word literally means to be a benefactor, a philanthropist, all right? One who supports charitable works, a person who uses their financial resources to meet the needs of disadvantaged people, to provide food, clothes, and other commodities to meet physical and material needs, to reach out to the abused, to the downtrodden, to the, to the rejected, when Jesus is going to be betrayed and Judas leaves the room, the Bible says most of the disciples thought he was going to give a gift to the poor. Right? Give something to the poor. Most people don't realize this, but there are three types of giving that are mentioned in the New Testament. Right? The first one is tithing. Simply taking the first tenth and sowing it into the kingdom of God. The second that is mentioned is offerings. You say, what's offering? That's something you want to do, but it's not the 10%, it's over and above the 10%. And then there's a third type of giving, which is alms, which is giving to the poor. In fact, Jesus said this, he said, he said when you give alms, he said, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. So, so don't give somebody a stove, some, a widow, don't buy her a stove and go, I gave her a stove, get me. That's what I do all the time. I, I help poor people. Yep. They need my help. I just give it to them. Yep. That's what I do. I, I give it to them and I gave it to them. Now, Jesus, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Now, how many know to tithe? You, you at least need to move a decimal point. It's not when you're, when you're tithing, you, you figure it out. Right? But when you're sowing alms to people, all right. The Bible says, don't mention it. Don't do anything. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And in Proverbs, it says, when you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. You lend to the Lord. Now, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, there is a prophet by the name of Elijah. And the king of Israel is trying to kill him. Right? And the Bible says in verse 8, that the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise, and go to Seraphath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. He says, see, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Seraphath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, please bring me a little cup of water that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now, when I first read that part about a widow, I'm thinking a rich widow. But this is not, how I many know this is not a rich widow? This is a very poor woman. Now, I want you to listen. Almost always, poor people outgive rich people. See, Jesus is sitting outside the temple, and people are putting in their offerings in the offering boxes they're coming in. And the Bible says there's rich people coming, and they're putting in huge offerings. 
But a poor widow comes and puts in a half a penny. And Jesus said to his disciples, this poor widow has given more than them all. They out of their abundance gave, but she gave everything she had. So God doesn't just look at quantity. He looks at quality. He doesn't just look at what you give. He looks at what do we have left? What was the sacrifice? Listen, anytime that you give and it touches you, it touches God. If it's significant to you, it is significant to God. And when she gave all that she had, Jesus said she gave more than them all. Well, Elijah said to her, do not fear. He says, but, but go and do if you said and make a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterwards, make some for yourself and for your son. I am so glad the reporters weren't there. Yeah, can you imagine the headlines? Prophet takes poor widow's last meal. They would have crucified him, right? But I want you to know what he said to her. He said, do not fear. Do not fear. There are two main reasons why people do not give. One is greed. One is greed. I want to have all of it. But the other one is the most common, and it's fear. It's fear we will not have enough. How will I pay the rent? How am I going to get food for my kids? How am I going to be able to afford to send my kids to college? It's fear. It's fear. And, And I believe one of my responsibilities is to let people know they should not fear. Now here, look at what Elijah said. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up. And the jar of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate many days. And the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken to Elijah. She had a continuous miracle, not a one-time miracle, a continuous miracle. Every time she put her hand in that bin of flour, there was more. And every time she took that oil and she poured it, there was more. There is always blessing and provision on the other side of our obedience. There's blessing and provision on the other side of obedience. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, it says, God is able to make it up to you. Got that? When you give, God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more so that there will not only be enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to joyfully give to others. And then verse 10, I love this. For God who gives seed to the farmer to plant later on good crops to harvest and grow will give you more and more seed to plant and will make it grow so you can give away more and more fruit from your harvest. Right? So God blesses you, not just to bless you, but he blesses you so you can give away more and more. The next verse says, yes, God will give you much so that you can give away much. God will give you much so you can give away 
much. I've had people say, I don't know if that tithing's in the Bible. Who cares? It's a, it, by the way, it is. It is there. But the fact is, God blesses you so you can give away more and more. Not so you can see just how much you can give. It's me, it's me, it's me. No, no, he blesses us so we can give away more and more. Most of you, you know that uh, Jeannie and I were missionaries in Mexico for seven years. Uh, when we knew we were coming back, we had purchased a little piece of property out in uh, Blendon Township. And about six months before we were going to come back, I had talked with the builder and we'd actually signed a little contract and he was going to build us a little starter house when, when we came back. So we're down in Mexico and at that time I'm teaching in a Bible college and we are helping to start a church on the opposite side of the city where we had started our first church. The church is maybe, at the most it's eight months old, maybe six to eight months old. And we have about 400 people in the church. And things are going really good. The pastor of the church is Chewy Olivares and his wife, Vicky. Now, although the church is growing, Chewy and Vicky do not have a car. The only way that they get where they're going is they take a bus. Well, I was driving a van that had about close to 200,000 miles on it at that time. And then we had bought Jeannie a car. Now, at that time, import taxes were just incredible on automobiles in Mexico. In, In 1983, which is when this is, a new Ford LTD was $70,000 American, excuse me, $50,000 American, right? Now, we didn't have that, but we had a nice car. And the majority of our net worth was her car. In fact, it was like all of it, okay? And so we were going to sell that car to give the down payment that we needed to build the house that we had already signed for. So it's, it's two, two and a half months before it's time to leave. And, and I'm, just, I'm just spending time with God, worshiping, studying, praying. And I have this thought. But Chewie and Vicky don't have a car. You should give them Jeannie's car. And I thought, Satan, I bind you. <laughs> That's a terrible thought. We need that money. This, isn't, this is not extra money. We need money. This me got to have money. So uh, I just like, I, no, no, Jesus' name, no, no. But it didn't go away. It just, every time I'm really getting, spending time with the Lord, it just seems like, give the car, give the car. And and I explained to God why that was not a good idea. (laughs) I said, look, we have given our word. We've signed the papers. Your word says that a good man, a godly man, he swears to his own hurt. God, we have to have this money. This is not extra money. This is the way it is. And God, we can't. He did not care. He didn't care. So you say, what'd you do? I put it up for sale. You say, what happened? Nothing. I kid you not. It was like our car had AIDS. Nobody wanted to come anywhere. Nobody would look at our car. Nothing. And I mean, a few weeks pass and I'm like, this is bad. She said, what'd you do? Well, every time I'm with God, it's like, give him the car. And I'm like, no. And uh, so I dropped the price. And it didn't matter. Nobody still wanted the car. So I remember it's a Thursday night. I'm at the church. I'm going to preach. 
I get there a couple hours early. Always do. And I'm walking back and forth in, in, in the sanctuary, because there's not an office there, in the sanctuary right in front of the, 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 uh, the platform. And, and I said, God, tonight, you know, there'll be going to be lost people here. And I'm going to cast the net. I'm going to get people saved. And I pray, Father, that you would convict people, that you'd draw people, that we would see salvations tonight. You know, and, and I'm thinking, well, maybe God's got a special way. He wants me to give an invitation. So I'm, I'm quiet. You know, when, when, when you pray, you talk, and then you, you listen, right? So I'm listening. And you know what God said? He didn't. He said, in the car. I thought, I don't want to talk about the car. So I said, well, God, at the close of the service, we're going to pray for the sick. And your word says, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And I pray, God, for tonight, if we're laying hands on the sick, the power of God's going to be manifest. I pray, Father, for people to be healed, for people to be delivered. And I'm praying. And then I said, you know, and I'm quiet. And, and as clear as could be. Now, it wasn't audible, but like on the inside, it was a shout. It was like, and the car. And I could, I could take you to that, that building today and show you exactly where I'm standing. And I said, God, this is not fair. You have me cornered. I said, this will be the worst service that you or I have ever been in. If I do not surrender the car. And I just said, okay. I said, when the service is over, Chewie will take me out for dinner. Because that's what you do everywhere in the world. You, you preach, and then you eat. When this service is done, we're going out with some deacon. We're going to go eat. So sure enough, service is over. Chewie says, hey, let's go have some cow tongue tacos. And I said, all right. So we're, we're walking out to the car. We're on the sidewalk. And I said to Chewie, I said, Chewie, I said, uh, have you ever seen my wife's car? And he says, that blue car with the shiny wheels? I went, yeah. He said, that's a really nice car. I said, yeah, I know. I said, <laughs> I said, you know, we're leaving in a few weeks for the States. It says, and when we leave, Jeannie and I want to give you that car. It was kind of true. <laughs> I kind of wanted to. <laughs> I kid you not. He immediately stops. Hallelujah! 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 Gracias, Cristo! Gracias, Señor! And he turns to me and he says, I've known that for about six weeks. <laughs> that was about how long I knew. <laughs> so, uh, next thing that happened is there were about 15 people that lined up that wanted the car. <laughs> But uh, it was already spoken for. The money we needed, there was no way. It was just impossible for us to get the money. We had the money. Didn't have a job at first. Got the job working here. My salary was $20,000 a year. And that house was paid for in three and a half years. Now, there was no way you could make the math work. It just didn't work. Right? But God's able to make it up to you. You got that? When you release what you have in your hand, God releases something that he has in his hand. There is provision and there is blessing. 
that God releases. And this is what I know. When we put God first and he puts his blessing on what we have, his blessing on whatever we have left goes so much farther than anything could go without his blessing. He said, he's able to make it up to you and give you everything that you need and more. So that you will not only have enough for yourself, it says, but enough left over to joyfully give. And I want to encourage you today to say, God, what should I do? What do do you know? A question that should be asked is what have you ever sacrificed for the kingdom of God? But let me just tell you something. You think you're going to sacrifice, but when you release what you have, God releases what he has. Jesus said it, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So we have a tremendous opportunity to reach out, to do something that Jesus did, doing good, doing a philanthropic work, helping somebody who's been abused, who's been downtrodden. And we're going to build a house. We're going to build it cash. We're going to build it cash. And we're going to be able for decades to come to minister to people that our society threw away, used and abused and bring the love of Jesus into their lives. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? Every person is going to stand before God on judgment day. The first question every one of us is going to hear, what did you do with Jesus? See, Jesus made this statement. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying all of my efforts, all the good things I could do could never make me right with God. That there's only one way to be right with God. And that's to accept the payment that Jesus made on your behalf, giving his life and his blood to pay for your sin. So the Bible says this in John chapter one, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. Now, it's not enough for you and I to believe in God. We need to receive Jesus. Receive him as our Lord, as our King, and as our Savior. That his blood paid for our sin. So what I would like you to do, if you can, is to take hands with somebody that's near you. If you're online and you can, take hands with somebody. And we're going to pray a prayer together. And this is a prayer to receive Jesus. And if you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen at the end, you're going to be right with God. And God's going to make you a part of his family. So I'm going to ask that you pray this prayer out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king, my Lord, 
and my Savior, and I'm going to live for Him. I am going to seek first the kingdom of God. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. My past is gone. And that I am now forgiven, right with God, a part of your family. My name's written in the book of life. And I'm on my way to heaven. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.